All right, everybody. Reporters Journal is back once again. It's a Wednesday, so that means we are going to talk about the art, if you can consider it that. <laughs> Control chaos is how I prefer to uh, say the type of storytelling that we do here at KUM. I'm Jason Salas, and I am very proud to be joined on the KUM Podcast Network today by a member of the family, somebody that I have known for, gosh, Norman Analista. A, a man of many, many talents. But I, I think I first met you. I remember it was at Epal Beach. You were working at Guam Cable TV at the yes, time, yes. doing sports. That's right. That's but we were right. both at UOG, and I remember seeing you around yeah. campus. And then you were you were there covering. I think it was like a volleyball tournament or something. Must have been. Yeah, yeah. must have been. But you you've been. I want to say like in the game, but you you've been in the art of communications here on the island for a very very long time. Yeah, I'd say my first uh, crack at it was back in '95. I was an intern for cable news. A lot of people may remember that. And um, you know, from then on, I've had various stints in the media. Um, there's a and how one, old were you at the time? At the time, I think I was about 21, 21 maybe. Okay, wow. Yeah, that's yeah. really. And the only person who beat you is Pat Luhan. Pat, our friend. With, <laughs> yeah. I remember. I, you know, I mean, Pat's a year older than I am. And uh-huh. I went to St. Anthony's with him, but I remember. Yeah. I think Pat started writing for the PDN when he was like sixteen. Must have been, yeah. I mean, I remember seeing his byline in the in the PDN yeah. a while ago. And then he was here for several years. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's such a rewarding profession, you know. It's the kind of job that you do because you love writing, you love learning stories about people. You know, uh, it's you know, let's face it, it's not the kind of job that a lot of people want to really build a career you know around for the rest of their lives so a lot of the folks that started in the business have moved on to different things and of course um, you're telling you're looking and then, you're looking but, directly but into I my eyes and I'm say, in 20 and some folks have decided to stick with it and that's admirable because you know that's where the passion really comes in because you really believe in what you're doing and it's you're i appreciate doing, your pity. amazing job yeah <laughs> basically no, no one no else pity. wants to hire me at this no, point no 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 pity <laughs> no but but you you did it you did a very good job of that i remember watching you and i was like man you know i've seen that guy around and everything like that obviously you were very into sports and did you want to get into sports or did you want to well, do like hard news or well here's the thing right okay so I'm not particularly athletic. Now, I like I like fitness. Uh, the kind of sports that I gravitate towards are more like martial arts. Um, you know, did a little taekwondo, did a little karate, that kind of stuff. All right. But I wasn't really big into uh, team sports. I was actually more of a loner throughout high school. And uh, so, you know, I wasn't really involved in, you know, the kinds of sports like basketball and football and all that other stuff. But, you know, when I was an intern, you kind of just picked up whatever jobs they offered you, right, yep. in the newsroom. So it just so happened that there was an opening for a sports reporter and that was sort of my way in to uh, go from being an intern to a sports reporter so I had to do that for a little bit uh, but the the hard news was really more of my passion that was my main area of interest so the sports gig that was just a, a kind of like a passing thing see I'm the opposite I actually got into this <laughs> yeah. because I've always been like you know I, I was an athlete many many moons mm. ago and yeah. then I always wanted to get into calling live sports and they had me do hard news here at you know yeah. KUM for so many years I, I don't think I called my first game it was I remember distinctly it was Brad McCready and I mm-hmm. and we called a live game it was the high school championship of FD versus St. Paul mm-hmm. in 07 mm. and St. Paul won and they or I'm sorry FD won and they, they actually upset St. Paul's attempt to go for a three-peat and it was oh. a fantastic game and I, you know and I was like man that was everything I ever wanted to do you know, yeah. I, I would have done it for free, but yeah. And you know, you mentioned Brant. In fact, uh, thank thank goodness Brant joined the news team because then that enabled me to move on to doing the hard news. <laughs> so oh, there you go. Yeah, so I still remember the day that. So he no, took his spot. Yes, yes. <laughs> thankfully. <laughs> okay. And what was it like when you actually transitioned from you know the achievements of predominantly like you know younger people, high school athletes here, and then getting into things like 
policy making yeah. and a lot of the time here in a small market you know you get you know car yeah. crashes and you know right. bad things happening to good people it's, it's not an easy thing to talk it's about it's definitely not you know and at the end of the day you also have to remember that behind the incident behind the report there are always lives that are involved and how reporting those stories affect the lives involved and so there's always the need to uh, especially being here in a small community practicing some sort of sensitivity when you report the news I mean if it's obviously you have to report the facts and uh, there are going to be some controversial issues discussed but I feel like when you add a touch of delicacy to how you deliver the reports I think the community appreciates that that's what I learned too and yeah. I, I just kind of you know I read a couple of books but then I also just would sit up at night and just say okay mm-hmm. what makes the most sense and what's the most yes. respectful because as a local here right I, people want to see you know do you not only know can you pronounce the villages and the last yes. names yes. but also do you have that island sensibility and right. you know we realize you've got to tell these stories about bad things happening mm-hmm. to good people, but also are you being respectful to you know their family exactly. members? And, yeah. yeah. And one, one thing that I've always appreciated about you and the mm-hmm. dozens of times I've interviewed you in the years since mm-hmm. is now you've taken a leadership position within the Filipino community. Yes. Um, tell me about, about that. And, you know, I mean, you, you've always been a very proud Filipino and you've always, like, projected, you know, mm-hmm. your respect yeah. and your knowledge of your heritage. Yeah, you know, it, for me, it's it's always been a passion of mine to you know represent um, our heritage, our culture. It's not really something that I put you know uh, in my forehead and say I'm you know proud to be Filipino, but I guess it just sort of happens naturally by the choices of clothing that I wear. Uh, you know, my decision to use you know Filipino words, Tagalog words, wherever I could here and there, and you know, it, it's just something that happens organically that I don't really think about it. So when someone sees me and they think that I'm, you know, holding up the banner for Pinoy pride, <laughs> it's just me being me. You know, you've never actually broken out any Tagalog when, when we've been on the set, and we've you never said like, oh man, I eat too much, man, I'm so taba, or you know. Yeah. Well, here's the thing, Jace. I'm, I'm I don't even speak Tagalog. I don't even speak the dialect of my parents. So I was born and raised on Guam. I don't. Sp- I don't speak Chamorro. So, so. <laughs> so I was born and raised on Guam. And the thing was, back in the seventies, you know, my parents were all about assimilating. You know, you're in Guam. You need to be just as the locals are, and you know. Uh, Learning the language was not a priority, and that's truly the case for a lot, hundreds if not thousands of Filipinos who were born and raised on Guam. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I became president of the Filipino community of Guam, and that was the irony is because, because I don't even speak, you know, a word of Tagalog. Maybe I know the standard greetings and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and I can understand a few sentences, but I can't communicate back, mm-hmm. you know. But here's the thing. At these Filipino uh, community of Guam meetings, they're also speaking English because you'll find that a lot of the Filipinos that come from different regions, they don't necessarily speak Tagalog, which is the national language. Mm-hmm. They speak more English. And so I got away fine communicating with them. <laughs> and even, even because, because I, I have always had immense respect for Filipino history and culture because, you know, I went to Sanchez and, you know, it's yes. kind of like a punchline, but uh, I'm half Chamorro and I was a minority uh-huh. in my own hometown because, <laughs> like, you know, we had all the base kids coming from Anderson. Right. So you'd get like a, a, um, a big mix of, you know, Caucasians and African-Americans mm-hmm. and um, and Latinos. But the predominant ethnicity at Sanchez back mm-hmm. in the 90s was, of course, Filipino because we right. had Jigo and Dedido. Yes. Um, so I would go to my friends' houses and they're 
parents would, oh, Jason, sigra, masarab. And, and I'd be like, you know, can you tell me, you know, I mean, it looks like your mom is welcoming me into your yes. home and offering me something, but right. I want to understand. Yeah. And, and it's, it's a beautiful culture. And I've, I've always had so much immense respect for it. And I think, you know, Filipinos, just like Chamorros, are very hospitable people. And they welcome you into their homes and you become a part of the family. Mm-hmm. And it is, you know, let's say you have a friend that comes over during a mealtime. It is expected that your friend is going to join the family for dinner or lunch or whatever it is. It is expected that your friend you know, is included in all the family activities. And that's just the way the Filipino people are, just like tomorrow. It's just very open. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why, you know, in many ways, there's, there's lots of ways to relate. And that's why I think there's a, a lot of... Uh, you know, been a lot of intermarriages, right, between mm-hmm. a lot of Chamorros and Filipinos, and and uh, it's been a great thing. And we always talk about that every time I have you on the set for KUM News Extra or something, yeah. or like this podcast, and we say there's so many similarities between yes. our cultures, but the one maybe difference is because there are so many uh, tens of millions of Filipinos mm-hmm. throughout the world, right? And um, like you know, our, our creative director here, Jamil, moved from Queens, New York here, mm-hmm. and he told me that in his travels, he was telling like some some of our <laughs> Filipino um, coworkers, like, man. You see Filipinos all over the world. Yeah, and that's that's and it's beautiful. It's it's a it's a very intriguing phenomenon. I mean, you know, you have a lot of Filipinos that go out and they try to, you know, establish better living conditions for themselves and the expectation is to you know uh, earn a, a decent living so that I could they could send money back home mm-hmm. because in the Philippines uh, you know it's just very difficult there's just a lot of competition for for jobs and resources and just trying to get ahead in life over there is just so much more competitive mm-hmm. yeah so um, so obviously a lot of you know, Filipinos are forced to go out and work in other places like Saudi Arabia of course, here in Guam, Singapore, wherever. And we're talking about individuals with college degrees that end up having to resort to working at, um, you know, fast food chains yeah. or, or uh, being domestic uh, workers. And it's purely because, you know, there's a lack of opportunity. Mm-hmm. But what what you're doing is, you know, the hallmark, I would say, of like, how long have you been the president right now? And and, and yeah. before you get to that, is is the presidency of the Filipino community of Guam organization, were you nominated for that office or was that a, a position that you sought? It, it was an elected position. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, I was nominated and then uh, I had to compete for it through an election. Mm-hmm. Uh, but actually, my term as president ended uh, in, on December 31st of last year. So I served for two years as president. Prior to that, I was two years as first vice president. So my current role today is uh, as a member of the board of trustees okay yeah and technically immediate past president as well right yes that's right so you advise yeah. the inco- and who, yes. who is the current pre- i didn't even know that it's been that long since i've had you yeah. in the <laughs> well, studio the, the current president his name is uh, mr james robinson and he's a retired court marshal and he was my first vice president so he uh went ahead and you know took the helm and uh, he's done an amazing job of transitioning the group he's someone that i highly respect he's someone that i've really worked uh, mm-hmm. well with and okay. i enjoyed his company well, one thing that I'm speaking of the enterprising nature mm-hmm. of yourself is I remember when, when you actually had KUM and we were very honored to be there at the uh, Filipino Community of Guam gala that you mm-hmm. had or the ball, I should yes. say, at UOG last year. Um, you were actually introducing your fashion line. Yes. I would like to hear all about that because mm-hmm. you, you, know, you have the cultural sensitivity, the historical significance of, is it the Barong Tagalog, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah. The and how did you actually get into fashion? I never knew you were into fashion. <laughs> I, again, I always knew you as a sports guy. Well, you know, that's the interesting thing because uh, fashion has always been a part of my, uh, my existence. Uh, and I think I sort of became more conscientious about how I looked 
probably in high school, you know, those formative years when, uh, you know, you're, you're trying to figure out your identity and how to look oh, different I went through than it else. <laughs> exactly. I had a mullet. Uh-huh. I shaved my head at one point. I did the mod thing where, like, uh-huh. I was wearing, you know, like, like with the um, the bolo chain and the wingtip shoes. Oh, yes. Shoes. I remember you, that. You looked I like you're going those. to Club Onyx. <laughs> yes. I, yeah. I, I was a break dancer for about uh-huh. a semester, but yeah. Yeah. So, you know. Hopefully, you have more of a solid grasp of your own personality than I did. Well, you know, back then, I still was trying to feel things out and uh, just coming across the Barong Tagalog uh, probably would have been around my high school years as well where you know I was interested in Filipino culture how best to represent the group than to adopt the national attire right so the Barong Tagalog for a lot of folks um, you know they don't quite understand how to wear it and what to do with it and uh, for a lot of people uh, they don't really understand the significance of it it's truly the national costume of the Philippines and there's lots of historical um, you know roots uh, and you know there are some claims I would have to say uh, you know some of them could be unsubstantiated but but according to the research that I found you know the Spanish people were supposed to have used the Barong Tagalog to distinguish themselves from the lower class Filipinos. And uh, whereas the the elite and the nobility were uh, allowed to tuck in their shirts, uh, you know, wearing the shirts untucked was believed to be a way to uh, distinguish Filipinos and kind of put them at a, a lower class. So not being able to tuck in the so shirts. So it was a form of segregation almost. And basically, yes, yeah. yes. And then also uh, with regard to the use of materials, a lot of the fibers such as the piña fibers or, uh, you know, coconut fibers or whatever, cocoon uh, fibers, all of those were sort of translucent and sort of see-through. And the belief was that it was intended to ensure that Filipinos were not carrying weapons on them. And, uh, of course, you know, those are the claims that have been been out there for a long time. Uh, but, you know, doing some of my research, I haven't really found any specific laws that state that, that you know, Filipinos would be punished if they did not wear otherwise. So it's sort of like a... It's sort of like a a story that exists, um, you know, prevalently, and and a lot of people sort of adopted it because what it suggests is that was a way that the Spanish people were intending to oppress the Filipino people, but they ended up taking something that was meant to oppress them and now have made it a source of cultural pride. And it's interesting because I would never even think Mm -hmm. to even venture a guess. Yeah. That's (laughs) multi-layered. That... That that article of clothing was essentially a system of control, right? Because it itself is is very very fashionable. It's you know it's it's a non collared shirt that is open mm-hmm. in a lot of cases, correct? Yes. yes. Um, it's got it's got a, like a nice design. You said as you said like it's right. flowing. It looks very very comfortable. Yeah. But of course, it didn't look that way when it was intended to create that segregation. It wasn't. It didn't look that way when it was intended to separate the Filipino people. But over the years. As fashion evolved mm. and as it became adopted as the national costume, then, of course, emphasis was put on the aesthetics. Mm-hmm. So it was a chance to showcase Filipino talent and handicrafts and embroidery and uh, dyeing the materials and all that, uh, you know, all the intricacies that were incorporated into the garments to then make it a source of national pride. So it was uh, President Ramon Magsaysay 
who was sort of known as the president of the of the masses, he adopted the Barong Tagalog as his uh, form of national uh, dress, and that of course him being the president caught on. A lot of people started uh, looking to the Barong Tagalog in a very different way, and then I believe it was under President Marcus's term when he would declare like Barong Tagalog Week, and President Marcus, if you look at um, photos of him and, and Melda back in their day, the way they were presenting the garments really gave it a touch of uh, class, and it really made it sort of uh, you know a symbol of aesthetic, beautiful aesthetics that was kind of uh, adopted by the Filipino people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's all, all sorts of ways to wear the Barong Tagalog. Some folks have asked me. The inside shirt, does it have to be long sleeve? Does it have to be short sleeve? Uh, does it have to be t- the inside shirt? Does it have to be tucked in or does it have to be worn out? <laughs> and there's all kinds of, uh, you know, beliefs with regard to the rules. But uh, I personally feel that if you're going to wear a long sleeve Barong, your inside shirt should be long sleeve. Mm-hmm. And if you are uh, going to wear that inside shirt, you should... You know, if you if you spend the time to get it tailored, then you should your inside shirt should also match the cut of your outside barong, as opposed to tucking it in. Because then, what you're going to find is sort of like a shadow. Uh, you know, you're going to break the the full flow of the garment mm-hmm. if you see all these different shadowings taking Spoken place. Spoken like a true designer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and it is and it is interesting. And I want to throw out anecdotally when my father was still alive, um, he would say because you know. Um, he was very involved with helping mm-hmm. uh, the Filipino community of Guam yes. for, for decades. And he always said that going to your events was was some of the best times he had because he was actually, um, I believe he was gifted a barong yes. uh, by the community before. And he said, I love going to those events because it's the most comfortable thing to wear. It looks good and, you know, it breathes incredibly well. Mm-hmm. And because, you know, like, because, again, you have it untucked, yes. you know, like airflow and on Guam. I mean, it's, a, it's essentially <laughs> yeah. a heavy jacket, yes. but it's incredibly comfortable. Well, yeah, you're absolutely right. I think you hit the nail on the head, depending upon the material that you use, because there are some materials that are not as comfortable. You know, they're kind of itchy, especially mm. if, you know, you don't, your inside shirt doesn't uh, cover the full length of your arm or what have you. But uh, with regard to comparing it to, let's say, a three-piece suit, it's, it's you know, less expensive. Uh, but in terms of the kind of look you're trying to accomplish, the three-piece suit will give you a shape. You know, it'll give you more structure. The Barong Tagalog tends to be a little bit boxy unless you find a way to taper it. You know, mm. so it all depends on, on what you're looking for. Well, with your company, do you guys do tailor-made barongs? Yes. Or is this, okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, barong. So you could have like a form-fitted. Barong. You could. Yes. Okay. Yeah. In fact, that's that's my take on the barong is that there needs to be a way to sort of taper it to, especially fit the gentleman that you know, expensive a lot of time in the gym and who has an athletic physique you know they work hard to create that v taper and when you put on something that's boxy <laughs> you know you just slapped on 30 pounds on that person you're defeating all the work exactly, you just put in exactly exactly well, well uncle ken uh, you know your own you know fascination and your own knowledge of tomorrow culture and everything and you you've said you know that um our wear, like when we go to church or to formal events. And yeah. Well, you know, when we like became... Like with the Mestiza, right? Uh, yeah, the Mestiza is the one that really stands out when you talk about that. Uh, and then the men uh, thing here, uh, there's, certainly there's a lot of Spanish influence yes. uh, to where you look at pictures in the past and you see these guys. Something similar to the Barong, perhaps, maybe, if you could mm-hmm. take a look at that. It's collarless and it's just... 
you know they just let it go and, and, and yeah you know so the, the the attire the aesthetics of course are very influenced by the Spanish and but you know there's also Chinese influence so there's a form of barong that's uh, sort of like with the mandarin collar you know and there's different yeah. uh, looks to it and the mestiza I've always the narrow jacket kind of thingy you know the narrow jacket remember those back in mm-hmm. the 60s I've always yes. liked that yes. look and yeah. you, just peddling back you were mentioning Brant McCready like several minutes ago when Br- I was at Brant's wedding when he mm-hmm. got married to his very lovely wife Dina mm-hmm. uh, he actually wore because he's he's Hawaiian yes he wore a mandarin collar and he looked fantastic that that was yeah. his that was his tux yeah yeah, it's so you know, there's different ways to play with the cuts, the colors, um, you know, the shapes of the the, the body, the torso, everything. There's all, all kinds of things that you can do. It just boils down to uh, preference, right? Uh, but you know, going back to the mestiza, uh, the look of the Chamorro mestiza and the Filipino mestiza, you know, there's similarities to it, but there's also lots of things that kind of distinguish it. I believe that for the Filipino mestiza, you know, the sleeves tend to be puffier and uh, stiffer mm. at mm. the top. And, uh, of course, a lot more embroidery is uh, incorporated into it. Um, so, you know, the, you'll find similarities, but also things that really make it distinctive. Mm-hmm. Now, not until last year when, when you actually had us at the ball and you were giving your presentation on the Barong Tagalog. Yes. Um, I had never actually heard it referred to in that way. I'd always heard Barong. Yes. And, and you, you yeah. even said Barong like a bunch of times. What is the yeah. distinction between a Barong and Barong Tagalog? Well, the formal name is really Barong Tagalog. Mm. And, um, and grammatically, from my understanding, you, you really are supposed to say Barong Tagalog together. And that's the true reference to okay. the garment. Mm. But these days, people just shorten and say Barong. Technically, Barong in and of itself um, is not you know a proper word, but it's sort of been adopted as a slang. And people know it now. It's just the Barong. So this is kind of like when yeah. you said President Magsaysay was Magsaysay, right? Yes. Yes. Um, it was he basically had vision beyond his years because in like what people do right now mm-hmm. is they say you take your history and you own it you make it yes. your own yes and you say like you know th- this may have kind of like a sketchy past and everything like that mm-hmm. but it's become part of our culture we're going to make this ours and we're going to say this this is who we are we own this yes absolutely okay. I, f- I feel that he truly was the individual that you know brought it to the forefront but you know the thing I do want to mention is you know the Filipino people obviously had a very rich culture before the Spanish uh, you know came over and the Filipino people already had their garments that kind of look kind of look like the Barong Tagalog in the sense that you know they have sort of have like doublets, uh, you know may have not had a collar, but the structure you know was there where it wasn't tucked in or anything like that. You know, it's like the tribal garment. So I want to say that you know a lot of it was just um, infusing what the Spanish the Spanish brought in, and then also keeping what the Filipinos knew. But then over a period of time, you know, taken into the context of uh, being a colonized people, you know, the Spanish obviously inf- in- imposed certain things on them. Mm-hmm. So. Now, as a designer and as as an entrepreneur now and and getting into the fashion business, having such a deep appreciation and knowledge of of what the fashion represents and how it has Mm -hmm. evolved – how do you actually come up with your your designs to be attractive to a younger generation of your countrymen while, you know – Staying true and, right. and also not offending because that's what we as Chamorros like constantly go through. Yes. It's like if if I was learning how to speak Chamorro and Uncle Ken have, and I have talked about this many times, it's like you have what they refer to as university Chamorro and then street Chamorro. And if you uh. speak the wrong one to like the wrong generation and everything, you can, you can kind of get an underneath someone's skin. And, and right. your own designs, I, I've yes. you know I've seen them many times. You use a lot of color, you yes. use a lot of rich design. People can't see this right now because this is on SoundCloud, but <laughs> you're wearing a lovely blue shirt um it's got a very wonderful pattern with all these leaves on it and there's at least i'm counting what 
five or six different types yeah. of color. <laughs> yep, I mean, sounds it's, right. <laughs> it, it's, it's very loud yeah. in a very aesthetically yeah. pleasing way. So how, what, what is your approach to design? Well, for me, it's all about, I know it sounds selfish, but it's about preference. You know, you're the designer, so it's about your vision for how you want to take the garments. In my case, Calvin I want, Klein said the exact same thing. Well, oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> and that awesome. makes underwear, so, awesome. <laughs> among other things. Yeah. So, so that was really me. It was about thinking about what I would want to personally wear, and if other people like it, hey, great. So what, what do I personally like? I do like bold colors. I like unique cuts. And, um, you know, I'm not, not to say that what I like is uh, what everybody likes. Mm-hmm. In fact, a lot of people don't like what I create, and it's because they're more conservative. <laughs> <laughs> and so really, when it comes to the classic colors of the Barong Tagalog, you know, beige by far is the That's optimal it. choice. With uh, black slacks, right? With black slacks. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, you know, black is sort of, uh, you know, that's also a very conservative color. It's very, very elegant looking. Uh, I think that would probably be the next choice. So when I come out with bright orange, red, <laughs> green, you know, it's very unsettling for a lot of people. Um, and in fact, you know, if we're talking about classes again, or at least in distinguishing what is formal and what is casual wear, usually the formal barongs are kept to the classic colors, and then if you're going to wear something brighter, they're more for casual wear, or they're just you know sort of more festive without being as formal. But for me, uh, especially through my platform at the Filipino community in Guam, what I've done is I've elevated uh, you know what people perceive to be casual and formal to be what I want to be formal mm-hmm. and wear, which is colorful uh, barongs. Uh, the thing is. You know, there's lots of other things to think about. The texture that you use, the fabrics, they make a huge difference because you'll have materials that are, uh, let's say, organza. That's used a lot. It's shinier. It's more shimmery, uh, and it's more I've translucent. I've seen that. It's got a certain sheen. Yes. Yeah. So that's the kind of fabric that is you know, less expensive, and so the quality is not as high. And when you create a shirt with it, you know, you're not going to have the same formal look or formal effect. And then you have the pineapple fibers, and, and you'll find the, uh, you know, if you look at the threading, if you look at the fabric itself, you're going to find inconsistencies in how it's woven and uh, you know, different textures, and that's the beauty of it. And it's a stiffer material. Uh, so, you know, what I like to do is I get them custom dyed, and then I make sure I get the right cut, and boom, you're done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you yeah. were mentioning some of that criticism. Um, what has mm-hmm. some of the feedback been yeah. of, of people? Well, some people. Uh, I would. Know. I would assume it would be like up on both on both sides of the spectrum, and everything. Yeah. Some people would be like, "Wow, this is fantastic," and yeah. maybe other people would be like, "You know, that's not the barongs I grew up with." Exactly, uh. and you know, I and I knew that. I knew that there would be a group of people who would love it and embrace, you know, something different, and the folks that would be like, "Man, what are you doing? You're you were ready. To, you were ready to suffer it. the slings and arrows." Exactly, I was. But that's what it means to be a designer: is you have to reimagine things, and whether or not people choose to accept it, you know, that's the risk that you take so am i going to be selling a ton of these really bright colorful barongs probably not but am i creating a statement am i making a visual that challenges people's you know ideas of what it should be yeah mm-hmm. and so that's part of where i guess the um our art form comes in right so it's meant to challenge convention mm-hmm. not being filipino myself not having that not having that luxury and the honor mm-hmm. of, of calling myself filipino right if i would like to mm-hmm. To have a barong, say, like, if I go to formal events or I would yes. like to support, like, one of your events and everything, right. am I able to just to buy one off the shelf or yes. from, from your or, – or would that be culturally – you know, would I be, like – you know, these days on Twitter, people would say, oh, okay, you're – 
you're being um, <clears throat> cultural appropriation and stuff like yeah. that? Or do I have to be gifted one? Well, I'm glad you asked that question because for me, I want to let me put it into this perspective. So I have a friend who's a jewelry carver and he made a Sinahi bracelet. And uh, the Sanahi, as I obviously I, I know that has a huge cultural importance to the Chamorro mm. people, and that's something that I don't wear lightly. You know, I don't just use it for the sake of using it and parading it. You know, I mean, this it has a lot of cultural value to it, so I treat it with a lot of reverence. Uh, so. In the same token, I feel that the Barong Tagalog um, should also be regarded that way. But also, uh, having said that, I believe that the Filipino people are so welcoming and open to people outside of the Filipino uh, culture wearing it. And that's why you'll mm-hmm. see diplomats who visit the Philippines wearing it. That's why you'll see celebrities, Quentin Tarantino. I've seen him in a barong. I didn't know that. Yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. Lots of folks uh, uh, do that. And that's perfectly fine. However... Where you're crossing the line is when you don't wear it properly. So uh, you don't want to wear it with tennis shoes. You don't want to wear it with shorts. <laughs> you don't want to wear it in such a way that diminishes the overall aesthetic look that mm-hmm. you're trying to accomplish. Makes sense. Yes. Uh, in the same token that if I were to wear the Sanahi, you know, inappropriately, you know, maybe as an armband or maybe mm-hmm. as a, you know... Um, Ankle it. I mean, you know, I'm just saying uh, to put it into context. If you hang it, it from would, your rear view, exactly. rear view window, like we used to do with like our graduation tassels, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, I, I, then that could be perceived. Did you do that, by the way? I did that. No, I didn't. You didn't? <laughs> no. Okay. Well, Matt, what kind of proper Guamanian are you, Norm? <laughs> everybody did that. At least everybody that went to Santos did. Yeah. And I had that up way too long. I was like two years out of high school. I still I got a question, Norm. Uh, sure. You know, before you came up with these ideas, uh, I hardly see young Filipino mm-hmm. uh, Filipinos born and raised here in Guam that wear that, even to formal occasions. You're absolutely right. And that's because for the longest time, the stigma has been, if you want to look old-fashioned, if you want to look like your grandpa or your dad, mm. then wear the barong. But, but what you're wearing is not old-fashioned by any stretch of the imagination. No, so it's So that's not. what you're trying to infuse exactly. into these young'uns. You know, yeah. right. Come on, check or, it out. Or maybe, is, does the reverse condition also apply? It's like, uh, as, a, as a young person, I cannot wear the barong until I've reached a certain age. Because you know, it, there's almost like, like, like a rite of passage or a pecking order. Is yeah, that, it, I, I don't think that exists because the Barong oh, Tagalog is is incorporated into weddings, and so you're talking about young ring bearers to you know groomsmen to, you know. So it's an it's just a matter of whether or not you want to you know embrace your culture and show it that way. Because in the same token, there are a lot of Filipinos in the Philippines that are getting married in tuxes, you know, mm. and it's it's just a matter of preference. But I, I truly believe that um, what I'm trying to do is sort of change the mindset and uh, in, in, you know younger Filipinos and having them think that hey before you think about going to a formal event don't discount the barong you might actually find that to be more you know culturally re- relevant to you and it's actually going to be more cost effective mm-hmm. yeah and I was I was yeah. asking specifically yeah. about that thing like if I would like to wear one because yeah. I would like to celebrate mm-hmm. my friend's culture with my friends yes but, but again you know these days like if I, w- I mean you find it all over the internet somebody buys a daishiki and mm-hmm. they they don't have any African blood in them whatsoever right. Twitter goes crazy and, and they do that and, and, yeah. and again as a, as a Guamanian the biggest thing that I think whenever I I don some sort of article that isn't part of my native mm-hmm. culture is I don't want to offend anybody I'm not looking to piss well, you anybody know what? Yeah. in reference to uh, something cultural such it's as respect, a scenario that you're talking about any respect to me. Yes. remember Mark Rector 
Matt Rector. Matt. The former yeah. senator. Mark, yes. Yes. Yeah. Remember when he was former working around before, before he got elected? Mm-hmm. And he was wearing the Sihani, uh, Sinahi yes. all the time. Whenever mm-hmm. he goes out, look at me. He's a holy right. guy. Right, right. Definitely. And he got voted in. Yeah. By the Chamorros mm. So you know You cannot talk about them Having it uh, You know Being disrespectful When they wear it uh, It's when you wear it right For the right reasons I guess that's where yes. It comes in So if you talk about You know the, the, That type of, of um, Thinking right. But you know I, I gotta commend you My own uh, My own personal feelings That you know You're trying to Bring this, uh, Something like the Barong Tagalog Up to Another level And yeah. it's it Connecting with your Heritage and your culture And stuff like this And there's absolutely Nothing wrong with that I But uh, that. the, the Manobin They'll say yeah, I don't know My great grandpa <laughs> Used to wear that and I was like, <laughs> yeah, how about yeah. some Western eyes? Hey, how about a three-piece tux here, you know? Uh, yeah. So, you know, it's the way people think and everything. But uh, if you're in that position where you could actually pull this through and push it through, then, uh, you know, I commend you. And it's for yeah. every, every, every person, every male, I would think at some point in their life should have the feel of a good suit. Yeah, it's I an agree. honor to wear that I stuff. Agree. Well, yeah, know, it would be. Yeah, you know. Well, in the same token, you know, I get tired of wearing the barongs too. I mean, I had to wear it for four years to every event that I attended because <laughs> of my position. So now I'm like, do I have to wear a barong? You know, I, I asked that myself that question. Oh, there is a question. Uh huh. How many barongs should a should a proper involved person like yourself? How many barongs should you have? Well, okay, I would suggest at least three. And here's the thing. If you're going to go to a lot of functions, you definitely want to stick to the conservative colors. Because let's face it, when you wear a really bright color, people remember it. And so if, let's say, I'm going to attend one function and I happen to have worn my bright orange barong, people, and then I go to another one, the they're going to say, wear the same They're going to know, hey, I saw him wear that already. But if I wore my beige one, you know, the next time I wear it around, people are not going to say, oh, I saw you wear that beige one the last time. So to answer your question, it depends on the person. I guess if you're like me, I would have 20. If you're like <laughs> somebody is not into fashion, two will be fine. Then again, you, you, you never have like a kickback day. As long as I know you're always doing something every single weekend, you've got some sort of obligation Saturday and Sunday. You've always got something going on. So I'm, I'm, I'm plus you own your own design company. So you can you basically make your own suits, I guess, at will. And, and where, where can people find you, like on, on social media or on like on a website? Where can they find you? Yeah, design? so okay, right now I'm in the in the startup phase from my web website. You know, I just want people to be able to see sort of like my catalog of of uh, uh, styles. But at the end of the day, because it's custom wear, you have to get fitted to get the right look. Uh, and uh, you, you know, I'm still. Working on that, so to sp- so right now I just sort of meet meet up with people. If they're really interested. We just uh, you know, hey, let's just get your measured, and then mm. you decide in the cut. So it's really one on one at this point. I don't have a store yet, and um, I'm I've been testing the market. I've been studying uh, what the demand is over the last year, and I will admit that the demand is still not high enough for me to open up a shop. Mm. And I just want to be smart about it. You know, it's a huge investment. So it's not something that I'm willing to take. But in the meantime, I'm just having fun meeting up with folks who are interested in it. And I just create pieces for them. So it's just a matter of contacting me on social media. Mm -hmm. Um, How can they do so? 
Well, I have a Facebook account, and it's simply Analista and the Ampersand Co. It's Analista and Co. And then on Instagram, it's the same thing, Analista underscore Co. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and this is a family business, right? Yeah, it yeah. is. And so, you know, really, the true designer, well, uh, you know, she is. She has more design skills than I have as the my boss. wife. The boss. My real boss. <laughs> so, so, so basically, she, she, lays, she lays out the fashion and the colors, and you just take the measurements. Well, no. <laughs> what, 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 is, what is the corporate hierarchy well okay so she's actually the president and i'm the vice president of our ah, company okay. yeah and uh you know so when it comes to women's fashion especially i am clueless like i know what looks good in a woman but i don't know how to tell her how to get there and that's where my wife comes in obviously and talk about a delicate conversation <laughs> exactly yeah so you know the, obviously she handles that side of the business i'm more about you know the men's side of the house what looks good in a, a man based on his physique colors as well and uh, just trying to f- come to uh, the table with what their preference is um, and mine as a designer mm-hmm. to come up with something that is a blend because if you want the same old you know shirt then you can go anywhere and buy a pre-made you know barong in the philippines mm-hmm. or even here in the compadre small i mean you know there are shops that have the pre-made barongs but if you want something different like if you want a ducktail or if you want elaborate embroidery or if you want a specific color then man, that's where I come in. And now that I know that I can, that I can wear one, and I can I can be you know yeah, I can be part of the conversation and yes. everything like that. I am going to be your first customer when you finally hey. set up your storefront. Yay! I'm going I'm to be I'm, okay. And I'm glad we we brought up standing in line because this is something I've been chopping at the bit to discuss with you. Sure. Um, I covered the opening of Jollibee. Yeah. <laughs> a week and a half. We are now uh, 11 days into this thing. And uh-huh. I came to work today. And for purposes of, of this podcast, yep. I took the long way coming from Jigo yes. to our Harmon station. And I actually took that, that – I turned the corner at Jollibee. There were people lining up at <laughs> 7.20 in the morning, Norm, wow. for Jollibee. Wow. Jollibee doesn't even serve breakfast. And there yeah. are people going there. <laughs> so they can wait at 10 a.m. to try essentially lunch and dinner entrees. Yeah. And th- this is something that a lot of people have known, you know, mm-hmm. the, the very tight bond and the loyalty and the devotion by Filipinos to Filipino brands. Right. Uh, Jollibee is probably one of the best examples of that. Oh, yeah. Jolli- talk, talk, about, talk about that, d- that know, support for, for brands and for businesses. Jollibee is a source of national pride. And here's the thing about Filipinos, and I, I'm willing to sound a little bit controversial about this. All right. So – when you see a brand that is Filipino or even an individual who's Filipino who's struggling, who's trying to make it to you know wherever their goals and dreams are, it is very difficult to get the Filipino people to rally behind that business, that brand, or that person. But once that brand, that business, and that person has proven themselves – Oh my gosh, that really? is when the fireworks come out, that's when the pride comes out, that's where everything comes out. See, I did not know that. I, th- I thought Filipinos were very supportive and embracing right from the jump. If someone has an idea, they were like, we'll help you get to that point. So basically, you, you, have, you have to earn your role in their hearts. Absolutely. I did not know that. Nothing is handed out to you. Okay, Filipinos, and again, I, I say this very, you know, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to say this delicately, but I'm a Filipino myself and I know the mentality. There's something called crab mentality that exists in the Filipino people, but it's not unique to Filipinos. I know other mm-hmm. uh, you know, ethnic groups, other races experience that as well. But a lot of it boils down to competition. It boils down to uh, sort of like weeding people out to ensure that they're truly 
uh, worthy of the support that they're going to get. So it's not an automatic thing. You know, when I, like, for example, when I ran for president of the Filipino community of Guam, it just wasn't handed to me. Mm. I had to show my worth. I had to, had to uh, campaign. I had to campaign. <laughs> I had to have a track record. I had to have all these, you know, things before they would even consider me worthy of their vote. You know, and I was the youngest president. I was, I think I was 42 at the time. And the oldest presidents, I mean, the, the, the average age of the presidents then was like 60s. You know, so but I'm cool. Yeah, and, and so you know, there are examples of that. Manny Pacquiao. I mean, oh, I was just about. Oh to say. yeah, before Manny Pacquiao became the super athlete that he is today, and statesman. <laughs> exactly. I mean, really. I mean, I, I read up on his biography. He struggled. He struggled, uh, and the Philippi- Filipino people weren't really rallying behind him. You know, uh, in this earlier stages, and also, uh, I don't know if you know Sharice Pampenko. She was uh, discovered by Ellen. I've I've never heard. Oh, yeah, I've yeah, never yeah. heard. Okay, yeah. I personally yeah. have never heard yeah. about. But I was going to bring yeah. up Sharon Conetta. Yeah. Oh, well, okay. Well, Cherise in particular, she's had an interesting uh, story and career trajectory. On a side note, she ended up becoming transgender. But anyways, Cherise mm. was was a young girl who uh, was discovered by Ellen. She had competed in hundreds of singing competitions as a means to support the family. The Filipino people really didn't. Pay much attention to her. She was discovered by Ellen. Oh my gosh, her career <laughs> blew up, and now everybody loved Cherise Pampenko. You know, and those are just some examples of the different things that have happened. But you know, at the same time, I don't want to say it's unique to Filipinos. I think, and you no, know, it's, it's human nature. Would you say Chamorros are, are the same way? Chamorros are the same. We way. appreciate hard work. We appreciate hard work, and uh, and I do know, and uh, I, I might say this to that maybe some Chamorros out there won't like it but yeah you're not going to get the full support in exactly what you're trying to do mm-hmm. no matter what it is you mm-hmm. know in the very beginning yeah yeah right sure yeah. and uh, I guess that 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 fuses into the western mentality if you will because a lot of people not just the Philippines or Guam they have that basic attitude it's like well you know I love to be here to see you fail. That's the first thing that comes to their mind. That's very capitalistic. That's very capitalistic. Yeah. Easy, come, exactly easy come, easy go, right? Easy yeah. come, easy go. Now, before those influences came into our world here, it wasn't like that at all. Uh, you know, it's like, uh, obviously, uh, you know, you want to build a barn and then you invite the whole neighborhood over to help you out and you have that support behind you. Uh, Guam was like that, I guess, prior to to uh, the society that we know and we live in right now. So, you know, things change, but it's not like that anymore. Mm-hmm. I noticed that when a tomorrow, especially even back in the mainland, uh, wants to go at it, all the tomorrows that are there, where they're, if they're in that particular state, hey, let me go and visit... Kin's restaurant from Jornia is down there, uh, you know, for food truck and stuff uh, and stuff like this. So uh, that attitude has changed throughout the years. But but yeah, you're right. But you have to earn it. At least at the particular time that I was a young person, which you was think, quite a long time. Do you ago. think maybe this this stems in our shared, you know, our our two cultures? Because Catholicism plays such a big part, it's mm-hmm. you know one of the tenets of Catholicism is you mm-hmm. know you earn your way into heaven by virtue of your mm-hmm. works on earth. You know it's mm-hmm. just not given to you. Mm-hmm. I mean you, you you can accept Christ as your Lord and mm-hmm. Savior and everything, and you know everything mm-hmm. you, that is your salvation. But at the same time, you have to spend pretty much the entirety of your life being a good person, mm-hmm. doing things for others, yeah. exhibiting you know virtues and being humble and everything like that, and then you will 
receive the gift of heaven. That's interesting. I never looked at it from that perspective. Uh, but the one thing I do need to say, you know, after having kind of criticized my people, <laughs> I do have to say that there is something called bayanihan, and that is the yes. spirit of working together. And that's a term that you may have heard a lot of times, mm-hmm. you know. Bayanihan is uh, used fairly often. And, and basically that is the, the people coming together to work towards a common cause. And I would say that that obviously was very uh, – that was critical for the, for like the rural places, villages where um, you know, uh, the Filipinos relied on the support of other uh, folks. But I think you know, just as society has modernized and you know, Filipinos or just people in general um, sort of have – I don't want to say close themselves up, but, you know, it's sort of more like about the individual family unit and trying to get by with what you have as opposed to really relying on a community, really relying on a village to, you know, help you to get things done. Hmm. Yeah. Did I ever tell you, I, I just thought about this. I grew up down the street when I was growing up, for, um, right down the street with the late Popoy Zamora was my mm. neighbor. Oh, yeah. mm. Just a few houses up. And I mean, the host, of, how long did Ping Zamora wow. host like uh, Buhay Pinoy on on? Channel 12. I'm going to guess over 20 years. I would at least yeah. that. Yeah. Yep. That's yeah. all right. Remember yeah. Ping? Yes, I yeah. sure did. Yeah, he was, yeah, he was a lovely that. gentleman. Sure he was do, so, yeah. so nice and everything. But yeah, you know, so I've, um, I've always had such reverence for, you know, Filipino history and culture. Mm-hmm. Um, he did a lot. He definitely yeah. did a lot for the Filipino yeah. people. But, you know, it's interesting, uh, just while it's on my mind, you know, even in my, uh, uh, you know, I don't want to say rise, but let's just say <laughs> in my effort to in my effort to work in the Filipino community, I was challenged by a lot of the older Filipinos, and uh, in what way? In the in the sense that um, they would even get personal with me. So you know, I got a I had a <laughs> particular haircut, right? So it was uh, back in the day in the nineties, right? Mm-hmm. You had that mushroom cut. Oh yeah, I remember and, you. And so there was this one Filipino leader. I gotta of course, find a picture of that. Uh, you know, <laughs> no names, but this one person said to me. You've got the cheapest haircut. It looks like you just put a bowl on your head and cut around it. <laughs> and I was like, "Wow!" And this is this is supposed to be an esteemed, you know, Filipino leader. So I found that you know sometimes uh, there's also you know them being territorial. Mm-hmm. You know, every time you have someone that's kind of young and you know still trying to feel out what you're all about, you know, they tend to get kind of territorial. But again, again, this is not just unique to Filipinos. I think it's just, you know, whenever there's a perceived threat. young person napper here. Yeah. <laughs> so so your, your own personality and your own interest in progressing your mm-hmm. culture and, and evolving, you, yeah. you're a little bit iconoclast, too. It's like you're, you're willing to challenge conventions and just say, you know, tr- traditions are traditions and we uphold yeah. them. But at the same time, we need to... We need to change, and, and new ideas will sprout forth. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, uh, over the last four years when I was um, at, in the FCG, uh, you know, on the executive board, I in- integrated social media. And that was something that we take for granted. You know, today it's like, I mean, if you don't have a, uh, a Facebook account or an Instagram account, it's like, <laughs> what are you thinking? You know, you got to have it. <laughs> well, that was sort of the mentality back then. That's why did we need to do that? And me, you know, with my marketing background, I said, guys, we're going to learn to communicate with more people. You got to integrate social media. And not only that, it helps to build the brand. Because at the end of the day, the Filipino community of Guam is a brand that needs to mm-hmm. be uh, nurtured. Okay, well, let's end where we... I mean, this 
this Jollibee thing, Norm, it's taken on a life of its own, and, and it really does not show any signs of slowing down. I remember I saw uh-huh. you on on the day, yeah, on the grand yeah. opening. I don't know how the hell you got in so quick. I mean, we got in because we you know we were doing a mukbang, so we yeah. did like a live stream from right. in there, my coworkers and I. But you sat down. You were like in there within the first hour of it being open. Well, I mean, come on, I scheduled the time to go in. I mean, so it's in my my other. You got room. a lot of strings that you can pull. <laughs> Connect. But I, they even said everybody was asking, and when we did, we were on Facebook Live, and we said, okay, is there a uh, drive-through, and we said yes, uh-huh. there is. But we've talked to the, the GM, you know, Alex, yes, Alex yes. Gagarin, right? Um, and he said it's not going to be open until June because they want to work out all the kinks and get like a consistent flow. Mm. So ninety days they're going to operate uh, at okay. this tempo and pace. Um, <laughs> and they said, you know, they're not actually bringing out the executive team to talk to the media until June, so another ninety days. But I mean, it, that place is standing room only. Yeah. It is unbelievable the amount of yeah. devotion that people will sit in those tents and patiently wait mm-hmm. for. Is is it because the food gives them like a a taste of home, or is is is, is there? A deeper sentimental thing like they just want to support the brand well there's a combination of it there is definitely that need to support the brand because it's a source of Pinoy pride and I've spoken to a couple of people who feel that way my mother-in-law is one of them Aha. <laughs> and then secondly uh, people just enjoy the food it's good it's chicken, but awesome this is not food. the first time Jollibee has been here. In it's way. not, but because it's been many years since the last yeah. Jollibee opened. Can you here, talk about I mean, the differences? Because a lot of people were well, commenting on social media, like, "Wait, didn't Jollibee close down the first time around because nobody went there?" Well, you know, I mean, there's, I'm sure there are lots of different factors that went into why it, you know, it closed down. But I remember that there was a location here at the Compoundry Small, mm-hmm. right, and there was yeah. a location at the Micronesia. Don't throw away from us, right here. Exactly. So I mean, you know, you know, in terms of marketing, I don't know. Maybe it just wasn't the right time. Uh, you know the the spaghetti obviously you know was a little sweet. Mm. I don't know if that went well with a lot of people, but I, I, I like, like sweet spaghetti. Yeah, uh, yeah, me too. Me um, too. Uncle Ken apparently does not <laughs> stop in there for me. <laughs> but you know, I did speak to someone from corporate who visited uh, my table, and and he told me that the sauce for Guam was uh, the sweetness was lessened just a little bit. If you were to compare the sauce here from the one in the Philippines, the mm. one in the Philippines is sweeter. Mm. And that's because they knew they had to kind of adjust uh, the palate. Mm. Okay, is, is that banana ketchup? People were saying it's, it's either sweet or tomato, tomato, um, tomato sauce or it's actually banana ketchup. I've always thought yeah. it was banana ketchup. I believe it's banana ketchup. Now, I, I personally don't know what Jollibee uses, but when you make the Filipino spaghetti traditionally, it is with banana ketchup. Uh-huh. And they, you know, they actually sell prepackaged sweet uh, spaghetti I like it. Uh, sauce. And quartered yeah. hot dogs and everything yeah. like that? That's a meal. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. So, Norm, it has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much again. Uh, man, it's... I've known you for such a long time. Um, <laughs> yeah. And to be able to see you and to be able to call you a friend and just see the positive things that you're doing, not just for the Filipino, but Filipino people, but being a Guamanian and yeah. being able to say, this is my home. I'm proud to be from here. Um, I'm happy here. I'm raising my family. And I'm also going to you know, educate my fellow Guamanians, regardless of, of ethnicity and race and everything like that, on who we are and also be respectful as a, as a Guam citizen and everything like that. You are a, mm-hmm. a shining beacon of what people should aspire to be here. I'm flattered. Thank you, Jason. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, again, um, if you would size me up for a barong, I would be more than honored. My honor. Because you, know, hey, you knew he was coming around to that right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm two-thirds torso, so you know, you're, you're going to have a really hard time making stuff for me because I, I am the weirdest guy to make clothes for. But I'm looking forward to working with you on that. Awesome. All right. So thanks so much, Norm. And that was Reporter's Journal, a very fantastic episode. I mean, man, this is a... 
I've had a lot of fun with this episode. And Me too. You, <laughs> yeah. Me too. And Thank it's a you. pleasure meeting you, Norm. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, and there are many, many other shows we have here on the KUM Podcast Network. So make sure to check us out on SoundCloud, on iTunes, and please rate and review us because it will certainly help get these podcasts onto whatever digital device you are using. Um, we've got some more shows coming up. Asha Robles was talking on Foodie Call the other day about how she has basically taken a step away from pure veganism and moved now towards being a pescatarian. So now she eats fish. It's a very, very enlightening conversation. And um, later on today, I know we are recording an episode of our Real Talk podcast talking about what movies we have actually walked out on. Now, Norm, you're a big movie guy. Yeah. You care, care to enlighten us on what a movies movie. you, you have actually stepped away from? Ooh, I can't think of any. I usually sit through it. You're a better man than I am. Even if it's a movie, I I really just can't stand. I just sit through it. Okay. Well, I'm going to go record that one. Norm's a better man than me, and that is no big secret right there. So thank you so much for downloading or streaming us. Uh, We will see you next time.